Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, welcome to another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. With me today, as always, on our panel is Joe Henderson, normally on the left, and Tom Jackson, normally on the right. And we have a guest, and our special guest is someone who we all know and love, and that, of course, is Evan Weiner, who does the business of sports and politics on Sports Talk Florida. Gentlemen, welcome to all. And, uh, you know, let's, Evan, let's start with you in this regard, because I know you're going to be with us for uh, about 20 minutes before you have to get out of town. We are getting ready to go to Rio and Brazil, and ready or not, Zika and all kinds of other situations. What is the situation as we begin the Olympics in Rio? Well, I know Max Max Bialystok and Leo Bloom aren't there, but they might as well be because it's like a producer's thing that, you know, look, back in 2007, when um, the president Lula and Brazil bid for the Olympics for Rio, they were part of the BRIC countries, Brazil. It was Russia. It was uh, Brazil. It was uh, Russia. It was India and China. And if you remember back in 2007, all their economies were percolating in Rome, uh, rather Rome, Rio found uh, oil or Brazil found oil. And the International Olympic Committee was looking to get into South America because they had never been in South America. And it was a new market for them. And the economy was booming. Um, the Brazilian economy was growing rapidly. And it made a lot of sense for the International Olympic Committee to go there. And uh, they beat out Chicago and, and I guess they beat out Paris. And uh, they beat out Paris because that's an interesting little wrinkle here. Uh, French investigators are looking to see whether or not anybody from Rio paid off or bribed International Olympic Committee delegates to get the uh, Olympics in Rio. Uh, of course, whenever you bring the Olympics to town, and on top of that was the World Cup, it's a tremendous expenditure. And uh, people, let's say, underestimate how much this thing costs. And all of a sudden, you got all this infrastructure you have to build. And uh, you had the bottom, of course, fell out in the economy globally in 2008. But they had oil. And they went ahead and they decided to build all these stadiums for the World Cup, all these stadiums for the Olympics. And there was a breaking point there when they raised the transportation fees for people to get back and forth to work. You started to see protests in the street and uh it got bigger and bigger and bigger for world cup and um, there haven't been protests for the rio games but there are all kind of other things as if as in uh rusev the president of brazil has been impeached you have zika virus 
you have water pollution, and uh, apparently they have gotten all the stadiums uh, built on time, although you kind of wonder halfway through whether or not the Olympic Village will have flooding and all that other stuff. Uh, But Zika virus, you know, here's the deal with the Zika virus. It's either awful or it's okay. Now, the International Olympic Committee is, they have uh, observer status at the United Nations. And the World Health Organization is an arm of the United Nations. Now, you kind of wonder, the World Health Organization initially said this stuff is terrible, the Zika stuff, and they told people of the age where they could get pregnant, both men and women, try to delay it as much as you can so we find out more about Zika. But the funny thing is, with the Olympics coming to town and the Olympic athletes going to town, well, it's not as bad, and your chances of getting Zika are very slim. However, however, just in case, the United States Olympic Committee has come in and then working with Washington, and they got the Center for Disease Control, who is going to provide health care for Americans and also study Americans if they get Zika. So all of a sudden, you got um, all these people. And by the way, the USOC has strong-armed people to definitely go to the Olympics. They basically, behind the scenes, have told people, you better go or else. I'm not sure what the else is. Uh, however, uh, in Ireland, Rory McIlroy has said, I'm not going. Jason Day, they're not going because they were playing in golf. And this is just a tour stop in golf, which they would normally miss this time of the year anyway, because it's not a major. It's no big deal. Uh, it's the Olympics. And, you know, who, who are you going to win for? Are you going to win 25 grand for okay. a gold medal? Hey, Evan, uh, yeah. let, let's let the guys get in on this. Uh, Okay. Any questions uh, from you guys, Joe, Tom? Well, I've no, uh, uh, all right, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah, um, Joe Henderson. There, go ahead, Joe. The, yeah, in addition to the problems that were so uh, pronounced there, it looks like I mean, there's very little is going right in Rio. I was just reading a story that uh, as part of a three billion dollar subway system that was built with the Olympics in mind, uh, was supposed to transport athletes back and forth from the athletes' village to to various venues. Well, they just missed the target a little bit. It falls, the the line falls eight miles short of the athletes' village. And uh, on top of that, you've got the, you know, the, the, the dorm rooms in the, in the village, you know, we've, we've heard all about those problems. Um, certainly, uh, terrorism is still going to be uh, high on the list of things people are concerned about. And I just wonder, and, and I'll throw this out for discussion at some point during this uh, podcast, if it's not time to just say, look, nations, cities, whatever, shouldn't have to do this anymore. Let's build a permanent Olympic site, put it in Greece, and be done with this nonsense. This is crazy. Huh? Well, I'm, I'm gonna. I was in Greece four years ago, and um, the place was a wreck. Um, and that was only eight years after the Olympics. Um, the, the subways, which were new in 2004, looked like Escape from New York movies um, that you saw, or reminded me of the subways that I was on in the 1970s. 
um, you can't put it in Greece because Greece has no money. Who's going to pay for all of this? Um, not the Olympic Committee. And by the way, some of the Olympic delegates make more money watching the Olympics than the actual performers in the Olympics. So it comes down to finances. Who's going to pay for this? Because certainly the IOC isn't. Uh, they leave, in fact, in the IOC charter, uh, a city that or a nation that uh, goes after the Olympics has to sign an agreement that they take care of cost overruns. Uh, in Los Angeles, the city council has just said, okay, $250 million, let's put it in the fund. And uh, right now in the state Senate in California, there's a bill going around for $250 million to pick up cost overruns. That would be $500 million. And then on top of that, $2 billion for security. Who do you think is providing most of the security in Rio? Which country? Well, of course. And uh, you talk about the, the cost overrun fund. Right now, the estimates are that in Rio, the games are about 51% over budget. So $250 million for, for L.A., if, if, you know, if that is successful, $250 million would be a spit in the bucket. Toward the it's actual cost of this thing. Well, it's $500 million if you th- combine L.A. Well, and even California. that. But, but, but the thing in L.A. is L.A. is poor. You're not getting money from Beverly Hills and Santa Monica and the Pacific Palisades. It's the city of L.A. that's picking up the money. Right. Any, uh, anything from you? I, I – Joe, I, I, I sympathize with your idea about just finding a permanent location and putting it there. But I think that one of the great things, the, the aesthetic things about the Olympics is that it's a different place every four years, every two years, if you throw in the, the winter games. And there is, there is a, for some reason, there is a value for a, a city to host the Olympics. I mean, remember, Ed Taranchik was going to put Tampa on the map by bringing the games here. And, and that, was, that was for a little while a pretty doggone serious effort that people in Tampa looked at and the Bay Area looked at and thought, you know, we could be an Olympic city, and it had a cachet to it. So the idea that you would find one place and locate the games there permanently forever, I, I guess that's redundant, permanent is forever, uh, just, just doesn't strike me as, as a way to get it done. But, uh, again, it's... It, it, People want these games so badly, so desperately, they are willing to, to let their politicians, their elected officials, put them on the hook for ungodly amounts of money. And I think that that's where the problem is. is these, these ought to be, just like, just like stadiums in the USA ought to be, always privately funded. If you can put together the sponsorships necessary to, to build the infrastructure to hold the games, then that's one thing. But if you're going to put taxpayers on the hook, I, I'm not sure that you want to go chasing the games. But, uh, again, you have to weigh that against it's a really cool thing to have in your town. So Yeah, for two know. whole weeks. Yeah, yeah well, well it, it, it's not – but it's not just two weeks. It's the – remember when they, when they awarded the games to Atlanta uh, mm-hmm. years ago and, and the announcement created a buzz in, in Atlanta that was unlike anything that they had seen before, and they had – and they and they lived with that buzz and that excitement uh, for for the five years that it took to put the games into place, and then and then they had the two game the, the two weeks of the games themselves. You have you have the the reward of anticipation. You have the reward of 
of every mention of your city globally for about five or six years is, and they will be an Olympic site in thus and so years. So, yeah, you, you, can, you can focus on the fact that it's a, it's a two-week event, um, but on top of that, there's an awful lot of ancillary benefit that comes from you are an Olympic town. No, not really. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you there. Uh, the new mayor of Rome, Virginia Raggy, doesn't want it. Um, the Olympics actually are having a lot of problems finding venues. Uh, right now it's Paris, it's Los Angeles, Rome, and Budapest for 2024. Hamburg, Germany went before the voters. They said no. Boston, it never even went before the voters for 2024. It was a campaign that Boston uh, eventually would throw its hands up in the air and say, gone. Uh, in 2022, uh, Oslo said no. Stockholm said no. Munich said no. For 2026, Quebec City and Lake Placid put together a winter package, and Quebec City said no. They're having a very, very difficult time finding cities looking for this uh, at this point. Uh, and you look at what's going on in South Korea. They've already, you know, we're a year and a half away from the Winter Olympics, and they need another cash infusion of about a half billion dollars in South Korea. They've gone through two CEOs already in South Korea. And look at what's going on in Tokyo. Um, the stadium design was terrible. It looked like a toilet bowl. You have to redo it. And way behind the stadium, and costs are going through the roof. And um, a lot of voters, a lot of people, a lot of politicians have said, it's enough. We don't want it. And it, it, the benefits are not what you think they are. Uh, in fact, um, you look at tourism actually fall on Salt Lake City. Evan, we're having some trouble with your cell phone there, buddy. Um, oh, okay. Cutting out. Um, oh. So hang on with us here. Um, actually, you got to get going anyway because yeah. because you're yeah. uh, you're heading off to to pick up your wife. We appreciate yeah. you being on, and you got us going here. And Tom and and Joe and I will try to continue the conversation. We want to thank Evan Weiner, uh, Sports and Politics for Sports Talk Florida. You can read his stuff every day uh, on the site. Evan, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, you're here on the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, along with Tom Jackson and, uh, of course, Joe Henderson. Again, thanks, Evan, for joining us. And you'll be back, and uh, oh, yeah. we'll find a, uh, find a better connection for you. Yeah. Okay, no problem. We'll talk thanks a lot. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thanks, Evan. So thanks, Evan, Evan. Uh, Evan has left, and that uh, leaves us uh, there. One of the things that... Um, Evan and I have worked with uh, a number of different people, one being Andy Zimbalis, who is uh, one of the premier sports economists. And and to what Evan was trying to say, although it was kind of difficult with, with the phone and for those who didn't, is that part of the problem is that the concept of having the Olympics is beautiful. The concept of actually pulling it off and making it fit under a budget has only happened once in the modern day. And that was in 1984 when Peter Uberoff and the folks in Los Angeles did it. And, and they really didn't build 
very much in the way of infrastructure. And and, um, and Peter Ubroff, who ran those games, um, and we all remember that in 84, a number of countries didn't come because we had boycotted the Olympics, the summer games, in 1980 because they were supposed to be in Moscow. So there was a pretty, you know, there was a blowback on us in, in 84. But from 84 going forward, there hasn't been a country or a city that has not suffered some pretty substantial uh, losses uh, because they hosted the game. So it, it, there is a, a kind of a yin and yang. Yes, you want to be there and you want to do it. And I, you know, to, to Tom, to your point, I was in Atlanta the morning that uh, they awarded the games and you could not, everybody was blowing the horns and having a wonderful time. And yeah, it was a big time uh, uh, feel good situation without question. But, you know, we all have price tags and, and, and when the public money is involved, it can be pretty substantial. Well, that's, well, and, that's and, what I would that's, that's what I was. That's what I. That's what I was saying, uh, Joe and Jim, is that there is a cachet that you can't put a price on. But the the cold hard fact is, at some point, you have to put a price on it. And and it looks to me, and and it looks to me, as as Evan was pointing out, that more and more cities are coming to their senses regarding this, and they don't want the burden of having to pay for. The infrastructure and the and the nice doodads uh, that come along with oftentimes putting on the Olympics, and so and, and on top of that, the inherent corruption of the IOC, which is clearly looking to the to the uh, to the cities and the countries that have the biggest slush funds to to pay them off to get the games. That golden goose perhaps has been throttled, and if that's the case, I would say that's a good thing. Absolutely. Well, I, I would agree, and, and I would layer on a little bit here with um, Brazil because they're still struggling to pay uh, some of the tab they ran up to host the World Cup. You know, there was, there was that whole issue there. And um, we alluded to, to Athens, uh, the 2004 site, and, and that was the only Olympics that I covered. I went, I went there and I was there for mm-hmm. about three weeks. And I remember walking around seeing these magnificent venues, this tremendous Olympic stadium, the, the swimming venue, and so on and so forth, thinking to myself and, and actually asking people, what are you going to do with this stuff when the Olympics are over? Well, we're going to have a lot of uh, international sports events here. Uh, they're going to be used. You know, it, it's going to be tremendous. Well, I just read a story recently that said, um, and as our our guest also alluded, uh, most of those stadiums now are either are they're padlocked, they're they're overgrown by weeds, they aren't used at all. Um, if if the if the process of hosting, you know, having competing countries or cities uh, for the Olympic Games is going to continue, then the IOC needs to scale back its demands for one thing. You can't just keep asking, all right, well, these guys, Beijing did this, so you need to top it. You know, there needs to be a realistic uh, expectation of what, a, you know, what can and can't be done because a nation can't go bankrupt over a, what is essentially you know, a two-week picnic. They just can't do it. There's just something morally wrong about that. 
well, that's, you know, why, that's my go ahead, that's my Los Angeles. That's my Los Angeles in 1984. I that's the, those were the uh, the one summer games that I covered uh, was such an ideal location because uh, they had the infrastructure in place. I mean, they, they, the the uh, the LA Memorial Coliseum they used for track and field. They used Pauley Pavilion for gymnastics. They used the existing uh, facilities on on the UCLA campus for swimming. They used the um, the, the, the Clippers uh, Coliseum at the, at the time for for basketball, and I was I was um, I was struck by how unadorned but how special those games were. Those were those were a, a rock star games, um, but as you as you pointed out, Jim Uberoth was the guy who pioneered bringing in enough uh, private sponsorships to pay for what was needed to to make the games happen. And then again, the infrastructure was there. Perfect city. I mean, if you if you want to pick a, a permanent location, let's do L.A. Well, they. I mean, there there's certainly if you looked at from stadiums and and, and facilities wise, there's probably four or five uh, combination areas uh, like uh, certainly Tampa Saint uh, Tampa Orlando, you know Jacksonville. Or you know, if you wanted to go that route up the I four corridor, you could probably make a, a case that there's enough facilities that could handle that. Certainly, Baltimore, Washington, uh, in on the East Coast, uh, there's there's no question that the the greater New York um, area with uh, with that maybe even spread the games between New York and Philly in that regard. And of course, on the West Coast now. With what they did in uh, San Francisco, with uh, building the new Levi Stadium out there, uh, there's no question that the Bay Area and and of course Los Angeles uh, on the West Coast. So there's plenty of 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 that, and there's certainly London had a lot of the infrastructure in place. They just really built a new Wembley Stadium. Uh, that I think that was pretty much all they really had to do for the London games. But you're right in that if we're going to start doing Olympics in situations like that, it really, um, the only people that make out in deals like this is the IOC. And uh, that is, that's been that way for a very, very long time. Well, and that's because uh, the IOC, Jim, uh, would take a proposal like like you said about spreading the games. Let's let's just do the hypothetical and say that Ed Taranchik's vision for a, a Tampa Bay area um, Tampa Orlando games uh, that he'd been able to push that even further. One of the reasons it was scuttled was that the IOC goes, "Now nah, we don't want to be spread out that much. Uh, Tampa Orlando, that's nah, too far apart." Um, it, it all needs to be confined because we we don't want to be, you know, taking long bus rides or or trips to get to to something. Media doesn't want to do all that. So no, if you want to host the games, you know, this is what it's going to take, and you need to build us all this stuff. And they are have been in the position of being able to dictate those terms because cities have uh, have competed heavily and hard for these for the right to have, uh, as my friend Tom uh, referred to it, the cachet of, ho- of hosting the games. 
but you know, I might want the cachet of living in a in a ten bedroom mansion, you know, in the most exclusive gated community I can find, but I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And cities are coming to grips with the idea, yeah, this is beautiful. You know, I'm going to watch the Olympics the next two weeks, sure. But do I want it here? Not if I got to pay for it. Absolutely not. I'm well, sounding more like a Republican every day. It's starting to scare me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's so you know you're being you're being um, uh, you're being smart. Smart is the word smart, you're looking smart for. Is the word. I was, smart is I was actually trying He's to figure wise. economically <laughs> conservative is what I was going to say, but yeah, smart's probably a better word. Uh, I, I I think that that is a is a synonym for for conservative is is economically smart. Uh, so I I just just throw that no, out. No, that, that it's really not. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other part of this, which really makes the um, the thing even more a bit galling, is that from the United States television aspect, what NBC and Comcast is paying for the television rights for these games far, far outstretch what uh, pretty much everybody else in the world is paying for this. It's really paid for by uh, the money from the UK, the money from Germany, and the money from the United States. So what they're getting out of Europe and what they're getting out of the United States pretty much pays the Olympic uh, television deal. Uh, the rest of the countries, you know, they're, they get the world feed and they're more than happy to take it. Uh, it's the U.S., it's the U.K. and other parts of of Europe that really pay the the television price for uh, the rest of the games, and everybody else picks up the the world feed and couldn't be more pleased. Well, and TV is going to be a big issue going forward as as uh, the the television audience continues to get fractured by all sorts of other options, streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people are cutting the cord. They're not, you know, they're not even um, watching regular TV as we know it anymore. And mm-hmm. advertisers are going to react to that and go, look, uh, I don't think so. We're not going to fork over the amount of money that it takes uh, to pay these rights fees or even you know, bail you out of these bad deals because we don't think we're getting a return on our investment. No, it's going to be a pretty amazing situation. And by the way, just uh, to your point, Joe, uh, the the uh, Olympic Committee, part of the deal that uh, the new Comcast deal with them included a, a cash infusion of, I believe, $250 million, which allows the USOC, I'm sorry, the IOC, to build their own uh, OTT, which is over-the-top television, which is a streaming service network. So literally, the Comcast cash is what is going to allow the uh, I, uh, the IOC to build their own network, uh, which they will be able to charge for uh, for uh, going forward in a streaming situation. So they're already into the streaming business. Um, and one of the things that we'll be able to do with this particular Olympics coming up is it will be the most streamed Olympics. And you'll be able to uh, watch 
pretty much anything you want at any time you want on either your, um, if you have an OTT uh, device such as Roku or Kindle Fire or Apple Television or you have a smart TV and can get the, uh, the, um, the Comcast Universal app, which I actually downloaded last night, you can put it on your tablet and put it anywhere and you can actually uh, watch through the second or third screen, depending upon how you look at it, as many different uh, events as you wish uh, for this, the most streamed, uh, the most streamed Olympics we're going to see. And and the good news, if you're a fan of NBC's constant um, delaying of everything, is that we are at least in uh, in the Brazil situation. They're actually an hour ahead of us. They're on Atlantic time, so we're. Uh, Time-wise, we're we're going to match up really really good with this. And at what point does does those, that that streaming you mentioned begin to desperately impact the networks and what they're what they're able to recoup financially from their investment in the Olympics? Well, the streaming. Remember, if you're ES, if you're um, if you're NBC Comcast, you're now including streaming as part of your advertising package. So if you want to buy the Olympics, you have to buy the streaming content as well. Those sponsorships to the Olympics now include that uh, package uh, as part of the deal. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, last year's Super Bowl was on CBS, I believe. And Sean McManus, the president of CBS Sports, told me that uh, they had included in the advertising package of the Super Bowl the ability to stream it. Uh, either on the e, uh, CBS app or on the uh, on the NFL app, so all of that uh, is now being factored from from early on uh, for the big events and the big packages. That streaming is all part of the advertising package. So let, let me let me be clear on this, Jim. Uh, yeah. The OTT the OTT package uh, mm-hmm. is <clears throat> is set in in the United States. Anybody receives that. That will be separate and apart from NBC and Comcast. No, it's or, it, or, or, or they will reap some benefit. They will reap some benefit from that. They meaning Comcast Universal? Yes. 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 Yeah. No. It's yeah. It's it's all it all comes under their banner. So in other words, let's say, and let me make this clear for those of you out there who are getting ready to watch the events. What it you you will download the app to your telephone to your smart TV or to your tablet, it will require you to have an authentication. So let's say your, your, uh, your, your carrier is Bright House Networks, okay? Bright House Networks mm-hmm. will re- require you to uh, give them an authorization code and you will get that through your, um, you know, through your television uh, service. You then authorize the code and okay. download it in. And so then, yes, then you'll be able to do it. But you must have an auth- authentication code, which okay. then gets you uh, in. So that's how it works. So that's so that would be similar to you do HBO Go on your smartphone okay. or your tablet, but you have right. to but you have to show them that you're already paying for HBO on right. your your cable package. Okay, Correct. Well, I, I think that that's. I think I think people will be familiar with that, and they're um, also familiar with anybody who downloads ESPN watch the Watch ESPN app. 
I mean, it's the same right. thing. Right. They they right. ask you to authenticate it through your cable company. So, but once once again, what we're looking at is the one the one thing the the one thing in the world that brings people back to their to their familiar suppliers of content is live sports. People want to see live mm-hmm. sports live, and they and they will sit through commercials to see a live sport live. So they've get, the, the Olympics at least continues to have that going for them. Um, uh, who knows how that's going to, to continue to go long term, but at this moment, live sports remains appointment TV. Oh, no, it does, as does news. The other thing, though, I, I would point out is that because you get a an audience that is a casual sports audience, you know, it's a massive casual sports audience that that kind of like families get together for this. So one of the reasons that NBC will broadcast and in some cases embargo certain sports and put it in prime time is because um, of the that natural audience and that that uh, not hardcore sports audience. So there will be some events that we will know the you know the outcome because of um, you know because of, of social media or because of the ability to go online and see what has happened. We will not necessarily be able to see, for instance, the the, the entire gymnastics situation play out in real time because they, they NBC will want to embargo that for their nighttime primetime broadcast. And so they will be able to continue to do that. So certain sports, even though you'll be able to stream a lot of it, you will not necessarily be able to stream the final uh, package of it because NBC will hold that back for their primetime audience, which is where they really draw uh, their large uh, their large crowds and the the sizable advertising packages. Okay. Well, I got I got nothing to add to that. Okay, boys and girls. <laughs> well, you've wrapped it, it up. I wrapped it up in one simple thing. Well, this has been the uh, the politically incorrect podcast, and we have really talked today a little bit about how sports. And politics mix, and God knows there's more than just the Olympics, but the Olympics happen to be kind of the big enchilada when it comes to uh, how much money you're willing to pay to uh, to be the home of a uh, two-week sporting event. And uh, having covered four of them myself, I can honestly tell you that you uh, the one thing I found out in, in directing and being a part of this, guys, is... I get to see the event I'm involved with, and that's it. <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm, I then become a, a, a spectator like everybody else. Uh, my first one was 84, like yours, Tom. Was I was at the Rose Bowl doing soccer, uh, and ABC, that was the last ABC of one. Um, and I can recall that I was on, because we were doing the international feed, and so we were on in countries all over the world. The sum total of time that I was on in the United States was exactly two minutes and nine seconds over the entire two-week period of time wow. at that juncture. So we didn't exactly soccer wasn't exactly you know big time in the uh, in the Olympics in 1984, but uh, 
I did enjoy my stay in Pasadena, so that was cool. But uh, I watched the opening and closing ceremonies just like everybody else on television because there was no way to get uh, from our venue down there to um, you know to the Coliseum to to watch it because we. Well, let, let me add this. Let me say this: you, not not being at the closing ceremonies, it, it was a, it was a fine spectacle right up until the moment Lionel Richie started to sing all night long. All night long. <laughs> well, uh, I have my own little ceremony story. The, the opening, the opening ceremonies uh, at the Athens Games, and uh, I should I should backtrack a little bit and say that for about six months prior to going to Athens, which you know is located in, in kind of a hot spot of, uh, of the world, right? Um, pe- people were everybody I knew was telling me. Now, be safe, man. Be safe. That's going to be going to be dangerous over there. Terrorism, and that's that's all anybody was talking about before the games. The the threat of terrorism. So I go to Athens, and the first thing I see is um, on the corner outside my uh, where I was staying, which was a short walk from the Olympic Stadium. Um, I see soldiers with high-powered military weapons on their shoulders, and I'm going like, okay, this is different. But the opening ceremonies come, and I walk down to the stadium, and it's just magnificent, right? I'm seeing this whole thing unfold, feeling safe as I can be. But I also had my laptop on, and I'm watching the uh, radar from back here in Tampa as Hurricane Charlie inches up the Gulf Coast toward the mouth of Tampa Bay. And my wife and two kids and dog are both sitting back here in beautiful Brandon, Florida. Uh, And I'm going like, what in the, you know, I'm the one that's got to be worried. Everybody else there has got this massive hurricane coming toward them. Now, fortunately for us and unfortunately for a lot of other people in the state, Charlie veered off, um, you know, about two hours south of here. Uh, and and cut across the middle of the state, particularly causing a lot of damage in Port Charlotte. But I always thought that that was weird. Everybody was so worried about me being safe. And I'm here watching this unbelievable ceremony while a hurricane is bearing down on my town. That's a that's kind of a unique situation. I I, I got one real quick final story from um, from the Olympic standpoint that I'm aware of, um, and that has to do with the. Uh, the Olympics in um, in Beijing, and uh, we were on a conference call with the gentleman who staged that beautiful service in uh, you know in Beijing, and we were talking about you know all the different things that had to go into it, and we were saying how did you get the manpower for it, and he turns and he says, we have a billion people. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, and, and and then there was the and, and it's a communist country. So it's like, okay, I'm thinking, no union labor, and as much <laughs> as you need, I'm pretty sure they could finish it. So, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, he was he was very bottom line about it. When you got a billion people and, and you're a communist country, you can finish anything. So uh, that was without question to me. I, I don't know about you guys, but the, the Beijing... Uh, opening ceremony to me was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. It was pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, that was that was choreographed 
Um, would better be they spent forty billion dollars on the game. <laughs> well, and we'll never know how much over they went, will we? Um, no, we won't. That, that was, uh, and I remember that the uh, that Dick Ebersol was talking about the fact he was then the, the head of uh, NBC Sports, and uh, and Dick had be, had been involved in. Uh, building the broadcast center over there and they left the broadcast center totally as was. I mean, they didn't bring anything back. So that all belonged to China after it was over. But the interesting thing at that was Dick was the head of NBC sports and he got the, the, the title was president of NBC sports. Well, every time he was in China, they referred to him as the chairman of NBC sports. Cause if you're the head of something, I guess, in a in a in a communist country, there's a chairman of it. So so Dick actually changed his title to chairman of the of of uh, NBC Sports. And at that point, NBC Sports, ABC Sports, Fox Sports, and CBS Sports all changed the president's name to the chairman of of their respective sports. So. Simultaneously, Ed uh, Gorn and uh, and uh, David Hill at Fox became the chairman, uh, and then of course over at CBS, uh, Sean McManus became the chairman. So now, all of the heads of the sports divisions of uh, of the major networks are all chairman of the sports division, and it all started because Dick Ebersol was called chairman of the. Uh, of NBC Sports by the uh, by the Chinese government. So, little known uh, always... that you could easily live without, but there you go at the Politically Incorrect Podcast. We provide all kinds of interesting things that you can, uh, tidbits you can tell your friends about and, and look even smarter than you truly are. So yeah, there... but what does Donald Trump think about it? China. He thinks about China. <laughs> he... Uh, He's always been the chairman of his own company, so I don't think he has to worry about that. I think it's already on his business card. There you uh, go. He's running for chairman of the U.S. too. That's true. Chairman of the board. Well, we almost got through an entire conversation without talking about Donald Trump. But yeah, you know, come on, that's against the law. We have to mention Trump. Yeah, it's well, it might be one day. You never know, <laughs> uh, given the laws. But all right, boys, uh, let's go with final thoughts. Joe, some final thoughts from you as we close this edition of the uh, Politically Incorrect Podcast? Well, my final thought is this. For all of the bashing we just did on the Olympics about the cost and the, all the other problems and all that, I'm going to be glued to my TV watching the Olympics. I'll pretend to know about synchronized swimming and some of the other events. Um, it's easy to get caught up in it. And it's easy, I guess you would say, to suspend disbelief. And I will deliberately do that over the next couple of weeks. Tom? I will be fascinated to watch the Olympians swimming and boating in absolute filth. I am looking forward to that. I, I, I just think that that's going to be adding a, adding a certain flavor at the risk of using a really awkward term a real flavor to the Olympics that they've been missing all these years. And it might be the perfect metaphor for uh, what the IOC has been feeding us all these years with their uh, make out rich and everybody else gets poor mentality. But uh, nonetheless, I'll be watching. 
Well, I, I will be watching as well. I think that one of the most enjoyable things about the Olympics is there is a, a great deal of nationalism and national pride in, in, in watching uh, the athletes from the United States and from other countries do it. And uh, to me, uh, I still love track and field and I, I will, I, it's always a treat to see Usain Bolt and we'll see how he he works out. And of course, Michael Phelps and, and some of the other folks who uh, who probably this will be their last Olympic games. And uh, it should be fun to see that. And there's always a story. I mean, that's one of the great things that we learned and one of the great things that thank goodness for the late um, Rune Arledge who, who, who pioneered the concept of the up close and personal concept of making sure you knew these people so that you had some sort of backstory on them that that made you really care about them. And I think that, uh, that that's the true enjoyment of the Olympics is you do find out who these athletes are and why uh, you should enjoy them and why you should celebrate them. And uh, I think that's kind of the fun part of the Olympics is really finding out these people, not only from the United States, from other countries that, um, that fought so hard to, to get to become uh, you know, athletes and, and athletes at the highest level as they compete in the Olympic Games. So just before we go here on the Politically Incorrect podcast, as always, uh, we want to know, Joe, where people can get your information and follow you on social media. Well, they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at the initial J Henderson Tampa, or they can find me on Facebook under Joe Henderson Commentary, Columns, and Such. And Mr. Jackson, following you, obviously a treat as always. Where can we get you? Uh, on Twitter, my handle is at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X Tampa. My Facebook page would be Tom Jackson, Journalist Entrepreneur. Well done, my by. friend. And of course, you can find all of us at Newstalk and SportstalkFlorida.com. Me, I'm Jim Williams, your host, and you can get me on Twitter at NTFLA underscore politics. That's N-T-F-L-A underscore politics. Thanks very much for joining Joe Henderson and Tom Jackson and myself on this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. And thanks again, of course, to our guest, Evan Weiner who uh, joined us for about 20 minutes in the show. So until next time, have a wonderful weekend. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.